0: unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp online therapy relationships take work and that's especially true about the relationship you have with yourself we often will drop anything to go help someone we care about we'll go out of our way to treat other people well but how often do we give ourselves that same treatment Investing in your mental well being with therapy is one of the most important things you can do for yourself. And that's why this month, BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you that you matter just as much as everyone else. And therapy is a great way to make sure you show up for yourself. Therapy is a useful tool for anyone, no matter their walk of life. And with BetterHelp, you not only get the help you need, but the help you deserve. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Morning Cup of Murder listeners can get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Morning Cup. That's betterhel dot com slash Morning Cup. With two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they outside found the lockdown. telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning Cup of Murder... Today's story involves a family that almost everyone knows, an infamous one that has a story cemented in true crime history. On March 28, 1873, a man came looking for his brother and ended up unraveling a long list of crimes committed by an entire family. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. In October of 1870, a family, like so many, homesteaded to the township of Osage in Labette County, Kansas, registered about 160 acres of land adjacent to the Great Osage Trail, and began building a new life for themselves. The unit consisted of John Sr., who was about 60 years old and spoke very little English, Elvira, about 55 years old and described as a fairly unfriendly woman, John Jr., who was about 25 years old, handsome, spoke in a distinct German accent and was described by many as a half-wit, and Kate, a 23-year-old woman who created a very unique name for herself pretty early on. The family's last name, one you just may recognize, was Bender. The lore behind the Bender family and the legacy that they left behind can sometimes make discerning fact from fiction very difficult, Things like Kate's actual relation to John Jr., with some naming her as his sister and some naming her as John's wife. Regardless of their relation, the family, by 1871, had built a barn with a corral, a well, and a cabin that they divided into two rooms with a canvas wagon cover. You see, the area where the benders decided to settle, the Great Osage Trail, was actually one of the only open roads used for traveling west. So, figuring they could make a little extra money, the family set up their home in a way that they could start accepting boarders, weary travelers and settlers who needed a break from the long trail. Another way of getting some extra cash, the way that earned Kate her interesting reputation, was her work as a self-proclaimed healer and psychic. She distributed flyers advertising her supernatural healing abilities, conducted seances, and gave lectures about the growing concept of spiritualism and advocacy for the free love movement. Though the Bender family was known to keep to themselves, between their prime location and Kate's notoriety, the Bender Inn became a pretty popular destination using the smaller room at the rear of the cabin as their living quarters and the front as a general store. Things seemed to be going well, and despite the neighbors' opinions about the Bender family, some good and some bad, the family seemed to be doing a good job helping out the travelers. That was until those travelers started to go missing, and when friends and family started to trace their whereabouts, they all seemed to stop somewhere near Kansas. In May of 1871, the body of a man was found in Drum Creek, just southeast of the Bender property, with his skull crushed and his throat slashed. Nine months later, the bodies of two more men were found with the same unique injuries, and by the fall of 1872, enough travelers had disappeared off the Osage Trail that reports of murder started to spread throughout the entire region, so much so that travelers started to avoid that route altogether." Desperate to know what was happening, a number of vigilante groups formed and started arresting and releasing suspects left and right. Then the disappearance of one man, a man named George Newton Lanchere, altered the course of not just the lives of those living in the area, but the history of true crime as a whole. After the tragic death of his wife, George and his 18-month-old daughter, who is sometimes reported as 8 years old, Mary Ann left Independence, Kansas with plans to move to Iowa, but they never made it to their final destination. Worried, Dr. William Henry York, George's former neighbor who sold him the wagon and horses, was alerted that the team was found abandoned near Fort Scott, Kansas. Realizing something must be amiss, Dr. York set out to find George and Mary Ann in the spring of 1873. After questioning some of the fellow homesteaders along the trail and identifying the wagon and horses as the ones he sold to George, Dr. York made a trip back to Independence to try and figure out what his next course of action needed to be. However, like the father and daughter he went searching for, Dr. York never returned home. Now, unlike some of the homesteaders who went missing in the past, Dr. York was a man who came from a very prominent family, with brothers Ed York, a colonel, and Alexander M. York, a member of the Kansas State Senate. Because of this, Colonel York very quickly gathered up a search party of 75 men to go looking for Dr. York, and in March of 1873, tracked him down to the Bender Inn. In their initial meeting, which happened on March 28, 1873, the Bender family claimed to have never seen Dr. York and denied he came to stay at their inn. They even went as far as to suggest foul play and said to check a remote location near Drum Creek where John Jr. said he had been shot at around the same time the doctor disappeared. Without any proof to disprove their claims, Colonel York left the Bender Inn. However, this did not mean he thought they were innocent. For the next week or so, Colonel York collected evidence against the family and on April 3rd, 1873, came back to the inn with armed men at his side. This is when he confronted them about a witness who claimed to have fled the Bender Inn after Elvira threatened her with knives and pistols. After pretending she did not understand English, Elvira flew into an angry tirade and said that the woman had cursed her coffee, deserved the threat, and kicked all of the men out of her house. Hoping to defuse the tense situation, Kate offered her psychic services to Colonel York and told him that, if he returned the following Friday without his armed guards, she would show him to Dr. York's grave. Now, around the time that Colonel York started to throw suspicions towards the Bender family, neighboring counties started to whisper about the fact that all of the disappearances along the trail seemed to be happening in Osage. Hearing this, a meeting was arranged by the Osage Township and was attended by 75 locals, including John Jr. and John Sr., as well as Colonel York. After discussing the disappearances, it was agreed that a search of every single homestead between Big Hill Creek and Drum Creek would take place. As the searches began, neighbors noticed that some of the animals on the Bender property, which were usually well taken care of, started to show signs of starvation, with some of them already losing their lives. Concerned, a township officer went onto the property and found it completely abandoned. Not only that, but there appeared to be a pungent odor emitting from what looked to be a trapdoor that had been nailed shut. Hundreds gathered as some of the local men, using shovels and pickaxes, searched the rest of the inn. When that door was finally opened, they found within it a scene so horrific, the story would live on in infamy for centuries. Underneath that door was an empty room with rotten-smelling soil that was soaked in what appeared to be clotted blood. The search soon moved to Elvira and Kate's vegetable garden and apple orchard, where they finally found the final resting place of Dr. William York, buried in a shallow grave. The next day, his body was joined by 10 more full bodies and a pile of dismembered body parts, and the day after that saw eight more victims. It appeared that all of the victims, except for one, were killed by blunt force trauma to the head, probably from something like a hammer, and then had their throats slashed. There were also signs that they had been, quote, indecently mutilated prior to their burials. The only victim to not suffer this fate was the body of a young girl, believed to be Mary Ann, who was buried alive. In total, the body parts found equaled up to 20 more victims, all ranging from the ages of infant to elderly. Inside the Bender home were three different hammers, a shoe hammer, a claw hammer, and a sledgehammer, which all matched the indentations made on the skulls of their victims, all of whom made the same Fatal decision to stop at the Bender Inn on their journey and come into contact with America's first family of serial killers. From what the investigators could figure, the traveler would stay at the Bender Inn and would be sat in a very specific chair at the dining table, one positioned over a trap door that led to the cellar. With the victims back to the canvas divider, one of the vendors, who everyone seemed to agree was either John Sr. or John Jr., would come up from behind the curtain and bring down the hammer upon their heads as Kate distracted them. The throat was then slashed for a good measure and the body was dropped through the trap door. Once in the cellar, the benders would strip the body of any goods and bury them on the property. While some of the travelers did seem to have items of value on them, most of them were carrying very little, meaning the benders likely killed just for the thrill of it. There were some, a very lucky few, who managed to leave the inn with their lives, who seemed to cooperate the Bender's presumed M.O. People like William Pickering, who said that when he refused to sit in the designated chair because the cloth had odd stains on it, Kate threatened him with a knife and forced him to flee. The people of Osage were furious that such an atrocity was taking place right under their noses. According to a Kansas newspaper, the crowd gathered around the Bender Inn became so incensed by the crimes that they took a friend of the Bender's, a man named Brockman, and hanged him from a beam in the inn until he was unconscious, revived him, and interrogated him about what he knew. When he didn't give them a satisfactory answer, they hoisted him up and tried again. They did this three times. As news of the murder spread like wildfire, reporters from all over came to see the home of the Benders and, in the process, destroyed the crime scene in an effort to grab some souvenirs. While the press had a field day with the story, a state senator offered a $1,000 reward, over $21,000 in today's money, for the Bender family's arrest. And on May 17th, the Kansas governor added an additional $2,000, close to $43,000 in today's money, to that reward. However, despite these hefty rewards and detectives doing their best to track down the Benders, the fate of the family remains unknown to this day. The last piece of evidence found came when detectives came across a starving team of horses and the Benders abandoned wagon just 12 miles from their home. It was confirmed that they purchased a train ticket heading towards Humboldt and that in Chanute, John Jr. and Kate left the train and headed south towards a terminus near Denison, Texas. From there, they traveled to an outlaw colony thought to be in the border region between Texas and New Mexico, while John Sr. and Elvira continued on their journey and are believed to purchase tickets to St. Louis, Missouri. After this, however, they were never seen or heard from again. Well, depending on what story you believe. Over the years, speculation about the Bender family has run wild, with theories ranging from lynching to death at the hands of the elements and to remarkable survival. One detective claims to have followed the family all the way to that border region, only to find that John Jr. had died of apoplexy, while others swear vigilante groups caught up with them and, after shooting the other three, burned Kate alive for her crimes. Another claim that they lynched the Benders and threw their bodies into the Vertigus River While some say the members have been caught over the years and either took their own lives to avoid prosecution or escaped before they could be brought to justice. But probably the most remarkable story that circulated was that the entire family escaped via hot air balloon. Because no one quite knew what happened to the benders, sightings of the family occurred for decades and a number of people were arrested only to be dubbed a non-bender and released. No one has ever claimed the $3,000 reward. In the aftermath of their crimes, the validity of the word family and the true identities of the Benders have been called into question. It was later found that John Bender Sr. was actually a man named John Flickinger from Germany or Holland, and though many believe he took his own life near Lake Michigan, another theory, some believe that Elvira and Kate murdered him after he fled with all the cash and valuables they had taken from their victims. It was also found that Elvira Bender was actually Almira Make from the Adirondacks, who married a man named George Griffith as a teenager and bore him many children, including Kate. After his sudden death, with an odd dent in his head, Almira married several more times and, according to some sources, killed each and every single one of them, as well as three of her own children. John Jr. was found to be a man named John Gebhardt who many believe used his reputation as a half-wit, as a clever disguise and say that he and Kate had been in a long-standing relationship where, if she found herself with a child, the pair would simply bash in the head of their unwanted newborn. Kate was a woman named Eliza Griffith, though sometimes using the name Sarah Eliza Davis, and allegedly worked as a sex worker to earn her keep in the Bender home. She is the one who, according to experts, was primarily to blame for the Bloody Bender's murders, claiming it was all her clever plan. Though all of this information is sensational, at the end of the day, the story of the Bloody Bender's is one where, as I said before, the line between fact and fiction can get blurred. What is not blurry, however, is the fact that a group of four individuals were responsible for a number of murders that, to this day, is not truly known individuals that will live on in infamy. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to A Terrible Thing Happened on March 29th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there is always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.